Joel 6, looking forward and exciting to teach it. I'm just so uh, really excited about just kind of going through the New Testament on Sunday and the Old Testament on Wednesday. It just, it's great. And then my son comes up to me and says, Daddy, you know, let's read the Bible together. So he kind of fills in the parts that I haven't read in a while. He loves the Psalms and, and Genesis. So I'm really getting, it's so cool. I'm just getting it from all angles and just absorbing God's word. And I just love it. You know, I just, and you know, people know when you serve with joy. If you are ever interested in getting involved in ministry, this is a joy. This isn't something that's a difficult thing or, you know, I have to. This is exciting, you know, and people, they catch it. It's like infectious. When you're excited about the Lord, other people get excited about the Lord. Uh. Just like I said Sunday, this is contained, you know what I'm saying? Trust me. So we're going to jump in uh, 1 Samuel 6. Uh, just the last time that we were in 1 Samuel 5, we see that the Philistines, the enemies of God's people by choice, uh, sinned with the Ark of God. And we know that that was a sacred uh, piece of furniture that, to, to put it lightly, or, ornate, and, and God said he would dwell there, his physical presence, his Shekinah glory, uh, in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. Now we see the Ark of God is open for everyone to see, and we'll see the problems with that. Uh, the lesson there is don't mock God. The Philistines for seven months have had this ark of God because they conquered the children of Israel and thought that, well, they would take their ark of God and, and figure they would put the ark of God in the temple of Dagon and, and he would be a subservient position to Dagon and we see what God did. And we saw this, uh, uh, instead of repenting, and Sunday's going to be a great message on John the Baptist for repenting, uh, the Philistines, after seven months, just try to get rid of it. You know, they just can't control it. They can't deal with it and send it somewhere else. So we're going to jump in verse 1. It says, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. The Ark of God, um, it wreaked havoc among the people. And this was really neat because you see God's progressive punishment. You know, some have this, depending on what religion you might have grown up in, this idea of God as a, this big ornery, you know, stepfather who's looking to, you know, squash you when you go out of line. But even with the Philistines, it was progressive punishment. First, he started not by harming them, but by humiliating their, their statue, their God. Uh, once and twice, he busted up in pieces. They try to put their God back together. And then the, the punishment progresses. They don't learn. So what happens is it starts affecting them. They get these tumors, and some of them start dying at the end. Uh, so, but by the time the people started dying, it had already gone through many stages. And even in our own lives, we can see that God is a, he, he's always going to deal with us in a merciful way. And again, as a believer, I can't say God's ever just pounded me. Uh, there's been times if I was going through a hard time, I look back and say, gee, I, I missed the signs. <laughs> you know, I missed the progressive punishment. Uh, so even in our own lives, we have to look at that that God is merciful, he is just, all his ways are righteous, even when he deals with his own people. Right? He's not going to just slam us. And if we find ourselves continuously being pressed, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I missing the signs? What is God trying to show me that I'm not paying attention to? So they tried a whole bunch of things. They send the, the ark to different cities. Now they just want to get rid of it. <laughs> uh, 
And you see this, when a person doesn't know the Lord, like the Philistines, they didn't know the true God, oftentimes they will continue their dysfunctional and difficult lifestyles and learn the lessons the hard way. But a point of curiosity, the priests and the diviners, the religious faction of the Philistines, basically say, don't send the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, back to them without an appeasement, a trespass offering. You know, we have to, he is a mighty God, we're seeing that, but we, we have to appease him, and we'll come back to that, because there's only one way to appease God. Verse 4, then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and your images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. A little twisted thinking there. But the trespass offering. Now, I'm going to cover this again. <laughs> when we get to seven, and some of you are laughing because you were here the last few times. Once we get out of this area, I won't bring it up again, but it's a very odd thing that happened to the children of Israel. In the Hebrew, the, the tumor, it reminds me of that, that show. It's not a tumor, but uh, <laughs> the tumors was, in Hebrew, it meant a, a, like a tumor in, sec- in their secret private parts. So somebody has speculated that God gave them hemorrhoids. I, I don't know. Um, you got the rat issue here. If it was more of a bubonic plague type of thing, we know rats uh, are vectors or they carry vectors to disease. Uh, so there could have been rats in addition, sort of like the pestilences in Egypt. I don't think anybody really knows 100%, but there was t- a tumor issue and there was a rat issue because they fashioned it out of gold and they put it on the cart and, and hoping that's going to appease God. Again, it's, it's very weird. Uh, but if the Philistine leaders put a little bit of effort into finding out a little bit more about this powerful God that they didn't know, but they were getting a taste of, they would have found the right way to appease God. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, one of my favorite scriptures. God says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that applies to everyone. Uh, I remember even when we uh, did Matthew chapter 2 on Sunday with Herod. Remember I said Herod was surrounded by the priests and the temple and Jerusalem, the holy city, and all the spiritual things. And the Messiah was coming. So what's his response? Instead of falling in line with God, He wants to kill the Messiah because he's the king of the Jews. That was the title that he wanted. It's amazing how how some people just resist God and resist him at all all costs. But even in ignorance, they try to appease God. And we know even today, the world tries to appease God. There's so many religions out there. So many people have different ideas of who God is and, and, you know, how to appease him. But there's only one way, and it's the cross. And again, not like God is a mean ogre that we have to appease him because he's going to get angry, but sin has separated us from him. And there has to be that, there's a a gap, and it has to be bridged. And the only way to bridge it is with Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. That makes us clean. That makes us justified so we can stand before him when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and and be in good standing and, and be adopted into the family of God, as John 1 tells us. All right, but you know, there's... Good works over bad works, the world thinks, think positive thoughts, 
you know, I'm not a, a, a murderer or a robber, so I must be good. And then you, you have this line of de demarcation where who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, and the lines get fuzzy after a while. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, there's only one truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So many will perish, unfortunately, as the Philistines did. Now, even in what we consider or understand as Christianity, there are some that still have crazy ideas in addition. Uh, to get to God through emotionalism. If the hair stands up on the back of my neck, if my heart starts to flutter and, and I get excited, that must mean the Holy Spirit was there. Very dangerous because our feelings are fickle. Emotionalism. Intellectualism. Well, you guys don't really know God because you haven't gone to seminary. You haven't understood the headier things of God, you know, and the, the things behind what Paul said in Romans. You're missing that. The third point, Gnosticism. Well, you guys with your feelings and you guys with your intellectualisms, but we have a secret knowledge that only a few, you know, the few, the proud, uh, can understand. And if you teach teach with us, you'll get something that you don't get in the word. Obviously, that's a problem also. So verse 6, moving on, it says, why then do you harden your hearts? Now, this is Philistines speaking of Philistines here. As the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts, when he did mighty things among them, uh, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now, therefore, make a new cart. So here's the philosophy. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart, and put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him, as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh in Israel, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It was by chance that it happened to us. So you see all these things, these awful events that happen, and they're still saying they're doing the fleece test, right? Well, when Gideon did it, he should have known better because he was a man of God. But they keep trying to do all these tests and, 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 and checks and balances to find out, is this really from God or did it just, was it, was it a freak event and these bad things just came upon us? Now, what I find amazing is the Philistines, and if you look at the map of the Middle East, uh, not real close to Egypt, uh, as far as the heart of Egypt, but they knew, you know, the, the news of what happened to Pharaoh and the armies in the Red Sea had traveled all the way, those, those, uh, that historical account, that even the Philistines were telling other Philistines, don't make the same mistake that the Egyptians made, Right? But it ended there. They still did it. They still oppressed the children of Israel, and they still didn't forsake their false god for the true god. So the irony is they were guilty of the same thing that they were saying don't be guilty of. Now, here's the litmus test that the Philistines use, and I love this. Just being an animal lover, <laughs> I love when there's stuff about animals. Uh, but here's the, this is a great plan. It actually is a very interesting plan. So what they decide to do is they take the cart, and they take a yoke, all right? It's, a a yoke kind of looks like an upside-down W. And it goes over the shoulders of the two milk cows, right? And their milk, you know, they have their babies, the little calves, and they take the calves away from them. So here's the cart, here's the cart, here's the cows, here's the yoke. They're yoked together, never been yoked before. Behind them are the cows, the babies, which their natural maternal instinct would be to go give the babies their milk. Uh, 
and, and the babies were behind them in, in, in the Philistine area, and in front of them is Beth Shemesh. So the idea is if the cows uh, don't go back to their hungry babies, start turning the thing around, and if they can actually get the cart to go forward, being never yoked before, which is a difficult thing. We talk about uh, being married, right, unequally yoked. The Apostle Paul speaks about it. Otherwise, the cart will be meandering all over the place, you know, and that would be a, a problem. So if they can actually straighten that cart out and go right to Israel, then they will know, man, that had to be the hand of God. So it's, it's a pretty good test, pretty, pretty worldly, worldly wisdom, but um, it's, a, it's a good test. Now, what's fascinating here is that, that uh, they handled the, the Ark of Israel. Now, we'll find later that the Israelites handle it and they get smitten. But two things come up here. Number one, God does show a measure of grace when it comes to ignorance. However, even sin and ignorance will be judged. Even in the children of Israel, when they did things in ignorance, uh, there were offerings for those sins of ignorance, sins of omission. So we always think about don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, but we also forget about, which we're good at, is don't neglect God. That's the omission. That's the negative part. We think of all the positive. Well, I'm not a murderer. I didn't beat anybody up. I didn't steal. You know? But the omission part is us ignoring God. So even whether it's children of Israel or us, there's still sins of omission. The second part of this is that um, we will help be held accountable for how much light we received, the light of God's word, the light of the truth. So if you go to a Bible-believing church and you're taught the word, and after 10, 15, 20 years of faithfully listening to messages, and if you don't make Sunday or Wednesday hearing it on the Internet, and you have the whole Bible at your disposal, when you stand before the Lord, the excuse level is going to be real low because you are exposed to a lot of light. Now, that puts me in a very precarious position because I'm teaching the word. And listen, that's a frightening thought. Um, you know, I don't take this stuff lightly. Verse 10. Then the men did so. They took the two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. Moo, shut up, moo, shut up. I don't know how it worked. But, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of the tumors. And then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So they're checking this thing out. Uh, now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and they saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. So the lords of the Philistines follow them. They see that the cows get there. Uh, so far, so good. The people are excited in Israel, Beth Shemesh, to see this. They make a sacrifice with the wood and the cows provided by the Philistines. Now, verse 14 and 15, the Levites. Remember, Beth Shemesh was a city of the priests. Uh, they put the ark on the stone with these detestable items instead of, and you may miss this, number one, they didn't veil the ark. The ark was supposed to be veiled. It wasn't supposed to be exposed for everybody to see. 
Uh, it should have been in the tabernacle. And in only on certain occasions should the high priest even gaze upon it. And you can learn a, a few lessons here. They also sacrificed female cows when the Bible said that only a male cow, you know, a bull, should be sacrificed in this particular situation. And he should have known better. But they were going to do things differently than what God had required. They sacrificed uh, the way they wanted to, put the stuff out there. And, you know, is it any different today? It's a shame if we as believers, several thousand years later, look at this and go, oh, what a bunch of fools, you know, close our Bibles and go home. How many lessons can we learn from this? What do you see today in America, even in this area, this big push now to make God relatable? Well, we're losing people in the church, so there's the push to make God relatable. But what, at what expense? Well, we're going to do things differently. Well, you know, we're going to get everybody to gather around and look at the ark. Oh, isn't this really cool? We'll put it over here. At what expense? To the point of dishonoring him. Today, there's the, the, these ideas to really take the mystery out of God. We want to have him totally figured out and actually put him in a box. Remember, when you completely figure out our God, if you could do that, which you couldn't, you're basically now over him because you know, you, you could just intellectualize him out of his holiness. And it doesn't work. It's crazy. But there's some that try to do that. Bringing him down to our level, to the point where he's not holy or revered anymore. Right? Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels thundered and the temple shook. This was serious business. Right? And the train of his robe filled the temple. This is the God that we're talking about. He's glorious. And he's holy. And these are attributes that we can't forget. Or even want to worship him the way we want to. Taking the truth out of worship. Changing the lyrics to make it, uh, him to be a just totally palatable and relatable God. It doesn't work. Now, I don't want to do it. Now, the lords of the Philistine are interesting because they watched this whole thing. And they said that if this happens, we're going to be convinced that it's from the hand of God. So what do they do? They pack up, they go home, and nothing changes. The Philistines are still a problem to the children of Israel. These guys are the, the, the leaders, the leadership. They go back, it's business as usual. That's crazy. After all they saw. How many people struggle in their lives and they see God's hand? They see God's hand work through others. They even see his mercy in their own lives. But they continue dysfunction after dysfunction, Right? They acknowledge his, that he is good, but they continue in their destructive course. Even those among the church. How many times do we see Christians who just won't yield to the Lord? And they struggle, and they suffer, and they have no peace. That's a shame. We should know better. Isaiah 1.3 says this. Let's go back to the animals there. It says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. What's great is the cows made it to where they were supposed to make it. They were being obedient because they knew where the ark had to go, but men who were made in God's image were being the fools. And it's amazing how Paul says, I'll use the foolish things to confound the, the, the wise, Right? Numbers 22, God used the donkey that Balaam was riding on to, to pretty much keep him from getting sliced up by the angel of the Lord, right? Uh, you know, the angel there. So 
uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to look at that. Verse 17, as we continue, verse 17 and 18. Now these are the gold tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, these are the cities, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the gold rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So the Philistines know they're, they're pretty, they're ignorant in their spirituality, but they do know that, they know enough to know that God is to be appeased, that his hand was involved in the punishment that they got, and uh, except their, their um, idea of appeasing him was, was detestable to make those items and think that that was okay. So they had a, you know, they, they knew enough to know that he needed to be appeased, but obviously they didn't know how to appease him. But they could have found out. Verse 19, so he struck the men of Beth Shemesh, now this is the Israelites, because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. So it's a strange twist of fate. I would, if I had to put something, a moniker on top of this, I would say kind of curiosity killed the cat. That came to my mind. Uh, God had specific rules about the ark and, and pretty much everything in his sacred items and they broke those rules. They looked into it. Curiosity about things that we shouldn't be curious about. Maybe none of our business. They were, it's funny because I, I thought of 1 Peter 4.15 where he speaks about murderers, thieves, and then busybodies. How, how can you lump murderers and thieves and then busybodies? God doesn't like that. He doesn't like when we uh, try to venture in places that we don't belong. Uh, in that particular scripture in First Peter, it had to do with getting involved in other people's lives and being in other people's businesses. Uh, but here, they were, this was none of their business. They shouldn't have been curious about it, and he struck them. Now, the Hebrews, a little bit funny. Um, these numbers seem pretty exorbitant for a town like that, but sometimes the way it's worded in the Hebrew, it, it could have been 70 out of that large number. So not a big deal. Um, go back into the older texts, and you'll see... You'll see that. But one of the things I love about my God is that he doesn't wink at sin. He's a fair God. He's a just God. And when we get concerned today when uh, this one's getting away with this and that one's getting away with that, and, you know, can, do you believe that what that person did and they're in the church? God sees it all, and he will deal with it. Uh, he doesn't play favorites. And the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 4.17, that judgment uh, starts at the house of God. And I think there's a lesson to us, too. You know, if we're faithful again on Sundays and Wednesdays and we're getting God's word and we're doing our devotions and we know the word, you know, another believer, a new believer comes up to us and says, ah, where do you find, and you just know where to find it or you know how to get there. And we know enough about God's word. We have to set the example. This was a, a Levite city. This was a priestly city. These guys should have known better. It was a bad example to set. They put God's, you know, it's one thing for the Philistines to do, but for God's people to do that. And God struck these men down because of it, and he punished them. So even as believers today, the more we know about God's word, you know, we have to set an example. We have to be a better example. And so sometimes being an example is very difficult. You know what I'm saying? Be the better person. Not an easy thing to do. But if, if, if we're mature and, and we know more, then, then we really need to do that. Verse 20. 
And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. The holiness of God. Sometimes there's a mistaken idea in this, like these theologies. Well, the God of the Old Testament was this, but the God of the New Testament is different. He's the same God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect agreement. There's this idea that God, you know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament has gotten older, his beard has gotten whiter and longer, and he's become kind of grandfatherly. He is the same God back then, right? So we have to understand the harmony with the Old and the New Testament. What happened was the, uh, the Philistines and the uh, Israelites got a lesson in God's reverence and holiness. They got a hard lesson. Who is able to stand before this holy God? The answer is nobody. But in our culture, that reverence seems to be getting lost. It's the same God. I, I remember this one song that uh, was, had a catchy tune, and God was in it. It was a pop song. I started singing it until I realized what all the words were, then I stopped singing it. <laughs> you know, what if, remember, what if God was one of us? What if God? It was very catchy. Joan Osborne. Here are the lyrics to it. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Man, she has no idea what she's saying. I understand artistic and creative liberties, but you're taking it too far, lady. So I don't sing that anymore. I changed the channel because I know better. I'm not singing that song. That's crazy. We got to be careful with that. You know? And here's, here's the thing. In the end... You know, I'd love to know every single deep thing about the scripture. I'd like to have every answer for everything that people ask me. But the truth is, I'm not going to. There's going to be plenty of times where I, I, I'll sit you down and say, well, going to this scripture and that scripture and kind of, you know, going to the old language, it kind of seems like this, but I can't say for sure. And I've done that from the pulpit. My pastor has done that from the pulpit, still does that from the pulpit. I'm not sure. God is holy, he is mysterious in some ways, and he has revealed what he wants to reveal about himself. Remember in Revelation, the different judgments, the seven thunders uttered. Do you remember this in Revelation, Bible students, right? And the disciple John says, I was about to write down what the seven thunders uttered, and I was told, stop, don't write it down. No one's supposed to know what the seven thunders uttered. Wow, that's pretty, pretty wild. So there, even in the New Testament where things are revealed, there's still some mystery about God that won't be fully understood until he comes back and explains and we're out of our sinful, sinful state. So do we accept God on his term or ours? That's a question we may have to stop and ask ourselves. Let's not let our emotions and our present circumstances determine our theology, what we think about God. Are we doing any things in our lives that disrespect the Lord? Maybe not to the extent of peeking into the ark of God, but are we doing things in our lives that, that he would not be pleased with and he's not pleased with? And I can't wait for Sunday's message on repentance. And will we take the time to get to know him and worship him the way he wants and not the way we want? Let's pray. Father.